1: fellow falcoholics what is up welcome to the falcoholic podcast we are here today to bring you our falcons versus bengals week seven game preview i'm your host kevin knight at falcoholic kevin joined by my co-host he is alan sterk repping the brand today at alan sterk on twitter uh it is the falcoholics 16th anniversary uh I've been here for seven years, Alan. You've been here actually, I think longer. I think you were writing here before I even got here. So yeah, I
0: want well, a brief hiatus, so uh, I'm actually at seven years. I did. Okay, so we're so, tied yeah, then. That's yeah, fine. Yeah, we're tied. Yeah. Yeah, I, we're, we're... I don't count 2020, but besides that, since 2015, yes.
1: Okay, well, we're you know we're in sync then with our total years here. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the Falcons uh, did get an upset win last week. They're sitting at three and three. Uh, so we're gonna open the show with getting Alan's take on sort of. How he feels about the team at this point in the year. Then we're gonna dive right into our preview, looking at the matchups in this game. Uh, Falcons going up against a pretty dangerous opponent here in the Bengals. Yes, they're just three and three, but they played their best three games the last three weeks. Uh, started slow and have since recovered. So we will get to that. But first, I wanted to check in with Alan because we are six games in. Falcons are sitting at three and three, tied for first in the division. Uh, no longer seems like it's a fluke that this team is going to potentially be spicy uh, in the NFC, and it, it, with the division being as weak as it is, potentially challenging even for a division title, uh, whatever that means in this NFC South. I, I don't know, but at this point, they're they're certainly in the mix. Uh, how have how have has the season gone in your opinion for the Falcons? Is this better than you expected? About the same, or somehow you know, are you one of those homers that was like, nah, why why aren't they six and zero?
0: <laughs> I like that you used the term spicy. What was that, Greg Rosenthal tweet? The yeah, yeah. Time. They've graduated they... from
1: feisty to spicy. Yeah. <laughs> 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 it's
0: uh, great. I'm abs- yeah. I'm absolutely a stack. I did not have much expectations going into the season. I thought this was like a four or 5 win team at best. So see where they're at is it's enjoyable watching. And it's not just the fact that they're putting a consistent performance. You just see a real identity. Like this team, like you watch the Niners game, they run the ball particularly well, but they remained committed and they were still pushing forward, like even going against the top unit, which yes, I know St. frame was the plea, but you know, it wasn't like they were getting these chunk runs. It, they really had to earn every yard. And I love the hard running style of Algier and Huntley, the offense line continuing in the battle and Arthur Smith just utilizing those different formations and personnel groupings. Like it's just, I love the efficiency and it, it just against all odds, where no one expected really anything from this team. They've really started to build an identity and you see, Young players emerging because this is my big issue from last year is like, OK, even though the team was kind of competitive and they were around to like early January, I really didn't see many young players step outside of Pitts, Lindstrom and Terrell. And these are former first round picks. You expect that from them. Besides that, I can't really say many young players contributed in a big way last year, minus like a Jalen Hawkins flash moment or. I don't know what else comes to mind, but this year you're really seeing huge contributions from younger players. You're seeing guys week in, week out. You're Darren Hall, D. Alford, uh, I don't know, uh, Ep- uh ugh, How am I saying his name? Evan oh, Ep- Evacetti, <laughs> unbelievable. I still can't say his name properly, shaking my head. But like, you're seeing these big contributions from young players, and you know, it's not just the first round picks. Yes, of course, you want to see Drake London and Crystal Instrum, AJ Terrell, like those guys and Kyle Pitts, of course, but you need those players that you especially during a rebuilding process in the mid to lower rounds and you're finally seeing that and like you know the maturation of like a Richie Grin who's come off a rough rookie year I think he's been one of the more dependable players on defense it's just that's why I really wanted to see this year just young players really emerging outside the top picks and we're finally getting that and now it's translating to victories and now we're seeing like a real identity and just a real belief like you watch like the sound effects of Mariota you look at the press conferences you see the clips of them jerking beers like this team is fully unified, and it's just a beautiful thing. Like just seeing where this organization has come from after being in such disarray, and you know, not against off season, but we know all season was rough as well. But now it's like, okay, they're really going the right direction. And this is a team that could be quick, uh, more ahead of schedule because I didn't see this team could be for a playoff spot for another year or two. And look at them now; it wouldn't be surprising to see them play in January.
1: Yeah, I I agree. I mean, it, part of that certainly has to do. Um, with how well this team has run the ball. Like, it, that's been a, a real catalyst, and we know we've known for a long time that's what Arthur Smith has wanted to do on offense to some extent because, you know, let's be honest, like, in Tennessee, that's what he did. He wanted to run the ball, hit the deep play action, have an efficient passing game behind it, and last year, the Falcons just didn't do a good job of that at all. Like, they were the 31st run attack, and I think even for those of us that were maybe, like, confident that the run game would improve – going from 31st to third and potentially challenging for number one in the league over the next few weeks. uh, That's, that's pretty crazy. Uh, Much, much better than certainly I expected. And, you know, you got to give it to Arthur Smith and the coaching staff for really coaching up the offensive line because they did not make major changes there at all. Uh, They swapped out centers uh, for their rookie fourth round or second year fourth rounder this year uh, was a rookie last season and they signed basically a couple of journeyman veteran guards in uh, Elijah Wilkinson and Colby Gossett. And so far, both of those guys have been solid starters for them, which is obviously a big upgrade over Jalen Mayfield. Um, But they've just managed to get it done. And the defense too, like it's been not pretty often. Uh, It's been a lot of giving up, you know, a lot of yardage. I mean, they're, they're quite poor in terms of yardage allowed 27th right now. But the scoring defense is a lot better. They're 19th. They've generated a lot of takeaways. I think they're fifth overall in takeaways generated by the defense. <laughs> um, so they've managed to get it done. Um, and that's that's all you can really ask from a defense that is just, we all know, is severely limited in terms of their talent, particularly up front. Um, and a lot of that has has come down to the coaching, I believe. But – and the other side of that is that these draft picks from last season that a lot of people were questioning, like, are these guys going to turn into anything? Like, what's going on here? A lot of them have really stepped up. Um, you know, we've got Taquan Graham playing a significant role. We've got Michael Walker playing a significant role. We've got, uh, you know, Richie Grant really taking on a major role, in the secondary And maybe Darren Hall, we're going to see, you know, he's going to be a starting outside corner for them now this week with Casey Hayward on IR. So it's really been just some of these young players really, really paying off uh, and and the coaching staff, developing them and getting them on the field. And we've also seen a lot from this year's class of rookies. Um, You know, do you feel any differently about Terry Fontenot as a GM, like now that we're six games into the second season than you did like at the end of last season?
0: That's a very good question. I didn't really have much of an opinion of Tyfa now after yeah, the first it's year. It's tough just, after only one year. Right? It was yeah. such a all, brutal cap situation. The fact that they trade Deion Jones hopefully will now benefit them. So mm-hmm. I, I wasn't really looking at what Tyfa did just because it's like it's really a three-year process. Uh, and I know you kind of want to look at that way with Arthur Smith, but it's hard because it's just on the field with Arthur Smith. It's just like you're gonna assess what he does from a decision-making standpoint to a schematic standpoint. Like it just it, you gotta, you gotta be objective about it. You gotta assess it. So uh, I think it's easier to assess Arthur Spit to Terry Fonda, but uh, that's a really good question. I think it, it, it's slightly getting better, especially now, like I wanna mention Troy Anderson, who I really didn't think was gonna see the field much this year and he looks way ahead of schedule. Like, he looks like someone that could play 40, 50 snaps a game and not be overwhelmed. So the fact that you know, they took a chance on a guy who was really, relatively raw coming out in the second round and he's a contributor immediately, they just speaks volumes and so yeah yeah i don't i don't i i just keep on I, I can't really grade him right now but look how can you not be more encouraged based on yeah what's happening
1: absolutely it yeah. it's it definitely makes you feel better given everything that's sort of happened and uh getting to see all of these younger players really step into to bigger roles i think that's been something that's been really nice to see something that i've enjoyed and again you mentioned like troy anderson it was like how early are we actually going to see him but early like he he's been playing basically since week two um getting some snaps on defense and you know he had to step in and start this last game it does appear that michael walker will be back uh, it's a good uh, time for us to sort of check out the injury report real quick. Um, but today we did see AJ Terrell, Michael Walker, Adio Gundigi, Isaiah Oliver, and Taquan Graham all register full practices. So it does seem like all of those guys, their status is not in doubt. Um, D Alford is not practicing. So that could be a potential loss. Uh, and then Jared Bernhardt not practicing either. Um, but uh, it's nice to see, particularly in the secondary, after losing Casey Hayward, they are gonna. It looks like they're gonna get AJ Terrell and Isaiah Oliver out there. Uh, so, what do you think about the secondary now without Casey Hayward? Before we really go into the matchups here, uh, are you really concerned about that loss, or do you have confidence that that Darren Hall is gonna be able to handle that spot?
0: I, I love this cornerback group. I think quietly this quarterback group might be the best on the roster when you look at position breakdown. Like maybe running back could be better than them. but besides that, like I think the cornerback group is, they're just consistently making plays. Like We know how good Terrell is. Uh, D offer making plays, Isaiah Alvarez had such a rebound, and then um, obviously you know, even someone like a Darren Hall, who I thought it could, the Rams game, he really flashed. Like he had to force fumble, he had to go with pass breakups, but you know coming in spot duty, like he really showed out against the 49ers, and it wasn't just the coverage, but the ball skills. Yeah, but I think he's always been a good, decent cover guy, but we didn't know much about the ball skills. But like the way he was just tacking the ball and just that closing speed, just like all right, he can hang on the outside because he really didn't play much on the outside last year. He he was getting more opportunities in slots, so I'm very encouraged about this cornerback group. I I'm, I'm, I am a big Casey Hayward fan. Like I think his experience and just his positional awareness is something that's be hard to replace, and it just seems like you need a guy like him on a young defense just for experience purposes. But I'm still pretty confident with this cornerback group. I think. They're maturing slowly, and you know, just based on what we've seen, watching the tape, it's like they're rarely out of position. Like if teams are covering up the Falcons, it's because it's probably through the middle of the field or they're playing zone. Like you don't really see much where guys get beat one on one downfield.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think it's uh they've played the deep ball well. They've they've gotten they've struggled in zone a lot. It does seem Mm -hmm. I think to have been better over the last game, especially. Um, Early in that game, it looked like they were going to get blasted the same exact way they lost to the Bucks, which was, you know, just giving up all this underneath stuff and just failing to tackle. But they did a lot better job in the second half limiting the 49ers offense. They sort of tightened up there. And then, like you said, Darren Hall came in. Um, to that game, ended up playing quite a few snaps, I think, like, 25 snaps, uh, and had, like, a 90 PFF grade, broke up, like, two passes, was involved all over the place, um, and he's right now, he doesn't have 100 snaps, so he he's not, like, ranked according to PFF yet, but um right now he's the highest rated player on the falcons defense with 84 snaps mm-hmm. uh at 87.9 uh so you know we'll hope that he can you know if he could just stay in the 70s that would be fantastic uh, yeah. essentially so
0: i mean when you hope force to turn over your grades gotta be accelerated right yeah yeah
1: we know that like they they kill you for turnovers that you like give up that but they really reward you for the turnovers that you generate so um, he's just been out there making plays in limited action, and he's going to get an opportunity this week. Of course, it will be a baptism by fire, and we'll get to that here in just a second, guys. Um, but yeah, let's let's dive into this game. The Falcons going up against the Cincinnati Bengals this week. Uh, one of their toughest matchups of the year. I think we all sort of thought that the, the Saints would be tougher. Um that one seems now like, oh, maybe the Saints just aren't that good. Uh, the Bucks, you know, I think we all thought that would have been the toughest matchup so far, but they've struggled. Like, really, all of the teams that we thought were going to be these powerhouse teams that the Falcons played have not necessarily turned out that way. The Bengals seem to be sort of on the upswing, unlike the teams that the Falcons have played over the last couple of weeks. So, what do you think, uh, overall, let's start, of course, with the Falcons passing game against the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh pass defense uh it's a very low volume passing game for atlanta we know that the falcons have quality options to throw the ball to kyle pitts drake london headline that group Zacchaeus quietly having a really strong year um but the bengals have also played pretty well against the pass uh, i believe they are seventh in net yards per attempt allowed 13th in yards so they've been able to stifle the passing game um Pretty well, and that is something that the Falcons obviously have to pay attention to. What do you think about the Falcons' ability to move the ball through the air against the Bengals, uh, considering also that, of course, the Falcons only threw 14 passes last week. They may not need to rely on that too much.
0: I can say this being a very heavy play-action game where you're pretty much targeting in intermediate areas, maybe get a couple of screens there. I just don't think you really push the ball downfield this Bengals' team because they really like to drop eight into coverage there team where they're going to force you to make tight window throws. And, man, it was just not the type of quarterback you wanted to depend on to make those style throws. And it's just hard to attack them deep to play a lot too high. I think Vaughn Bell's having a phenomenal year. Jesse Bates has always been a really good uh, cover safety. Wuzier has been just revitalized his career in Cincinnati. Uh, you know you know about Mike Hill one of the more physical uh, slot corners. So they just have a really unified group where they all allow big plays and it just seems like they're really good at tackling as well. So I could see this is a game where Arthur Smith just really depends a lot on play action, just getting the ball out quick and just kind of taking the safer route and just pretty much getting the, you know, obviously pits you'd like to see him get six to eight targets if possible, but ultimately it really depends on the pass attempts. So I think for the Falcons, like their barometer is like if they could keep Mariota under 25 throws and have the running game flowing, that's probably their recipe for success.
1: Yeah. And Really, with the Bengals, like you said, Ouzier's had a great season. Uh, Hilton's been having a very good season as well. The weak point there is Eli Apple, the other outside corner, yes. who has not been having a great year. Um, Jesse Bates, by his standards, not having as good of a season, but you sort of think that will turn around at any time. And then Von Bell, again, that, that's a very dangerous safety duo. They haven't had, like, the best seasons yet, especially by their standards. But, again, those are two guys that I trust to play well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you, you, I think you like the your matchup. Like if you can get Eli Apple matched up on like Drake London, then you probably like that matchup. And um, Kyle Pitts, you know, the thing about Awuzie, if I remember correctly, I think he's a little bit of a smaller. No, he's I think he's six foot. So he's not that Mike Hilton and uh, is the smaller corner. Yeah. Uh, I was getting him confused with with Auziere. Uh, so you know, if you get like Pitts in the slot or Drake London in the slot, those guys, that's a potential size mismatch there. So you do wonder if they try to focus the efforts there. Um, the pass protection. Oh yeah, go ahead. If you have wanted to they do get grabby. Yeah.
0: You can mm-hmm. draw penalties, particularly with Eli Apple, who is, can become a bit of a penalty machine. So I just want to mention, like, you know, even though I don't expect them to, like, I really love the back shoulder throw that mm-hmm. Mariota made to London. I don't know how many times a game they could do that, but like in those isolated <laughs> situations, like I could see Drake London or Kyle Pitts giving Eli Apple fits just because he is an emotional player. And uh when you get grabby, refs will likely call penalties on you.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's that's one part of this offense that I think the Falcons can do more, especially if they start threatening the deep shots more often. Um just to draw penalties if nothing else. And uh the, that's the the one concern you have is that Can this offensive line hold up long enough for the deep shots? And so far, they've been not very good at pass protection. They've been much better at run blocking um, Mm -hmm. to the point where they're one of the NFL's best run blocking offensive lines. But in terms of pass protection, it's very, very inconsistent at best. Um, The Bengals do have a a strong defensive line. Uh, It's much stronger against the pass than it is against the run. But, you you know, they got Trey Hendrickson out there. You got... uh, Hubbard, I think I can't remember the first. Yeah, name. Sam but Hubbard. Sam Hubbard, that's right. I was like Chris Her. Yeah. That's not it. Yeah. Very steady um, edge rusher. He's, the, he's yeah. the type
0: of number two edge rusher you love to have on your team. Oh yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. B J Hills in there. I think D J Reader is on I R. Yeah, uh, he's, been,
0: he, he's been out since I believe week one, and their stats have just shown like they've really dropped off stopping the run. Like, D J reader's is like a three hundred forty pound nose tackle who yeah. is a big part of what they do. Without him. They've had issues stop and run like watching the highlights. I thought Kamara had it by far his best game of the season and New Orleans ran on him quite a bit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you certainly wonder when, when DJ reader is going to come back. Um, it doesn't seem like it's going to be this week. He hasn't been, uh, designated to return yet. Um, so, I mean, it, it could happen, but seems unlikely. Um, so it, we're we're still, you know, that would be a big addition for them if he does come back. It doesn't seem like that's going to happen, and they certainly have missed him a lot. But mm-hmm. that pass rush is dangerous. Do you have any faith at all in the Falcons' uh, offensive line to give Mario the time to hit some deep shots?
0: This is such a fascinating matchup because, like, I don't think any team runs more max protect than the Falcons, and I don't think any team rushes three more than the Bengals it would be like hilarious if we see the Bengals rush during the Falcons have like seven to protect like I think that's entirely possible which would just be hilarious visual sight uh look that just definitely a good problem I thought McGarry had a rough game against the Niners uh from a pass protecting standpoint I think Matthew's been steady but yeah it's just not uh, both those edge rushers they're just they got like those relentless motors and they just know how to bull rush and use their hands so I would be concerned by the matchup um I think they can't hold up just because the Bengals are a bit dependent on the edge. Like they don't have much of an interior rush. Mm-hmm. But I just I think from a communication standpoint, things going to get better. Maybe just because yeah. of the matchup and how good San Francisco is, but there was one takeaway I from the Niners game I was really concerned about. It just seemed like Drew Dolman was all over the place when it came to like and maybe this was something on Lindstrom and, and uh, Wilkins as well, but it just seemed like he was late on a couple pickups in you know, it's not this is something that Matt has, he struggled with a lot last year and you hope yeah. that it's not the case with him this year.
1: Right. And you know, with him, this is Dalman's sixth start at center. So you're, mm-hmm. you're still hoping that he improves and his PFF grade has improved every week. Um, you know, now he's only 25th in the league and not like 35th. So that yeah. we're getting somewhere there. Yeah. Uh, I think
0: he's can, decent as a run blocker. He's shown yeah, a lot more, yeah, yeah. but pass blocking definitely work in progress.
1: Yeah, we are, we're still waiting on that to sort of come together for the Falcons. Um, And that brings us to the other side of the coin, which is the Falcons' rushing attack, which, as we both know, very dangerous against pretty much any opponent, even good run defenses. And that's certainly not the Bengals. They're fresh off allowing 228 yards on the ground at the Saints last week. Uh, And overall this season, Cincinnati is 23rd in yards per carry allowed uh, with 4.7 per tote uh, and 21st in overall yardage. Uh, Interestingly, they have... Only allowed uh, two rushing touchdowns, which has them second in the league in rushing touchdowns allowed. But um, you have to think that's probably just uh, (laughs) a little bit of an odd statistic because Uh when you allow that much yards per carry, then
0: uh, but
1: maybe they're better in the red zone, you know.
0: And I don't think Taysom Hill really did much last week, so it wasn't like one of those (laughs) wacky Taysom Hill games. Like I think they Mm -hmm. just got consistently ran on by Kamara and Mark Ingram.
1: Yeah. Um, So I mean, I I, this is clearly a matchup that the Falcons are, are going to go after as much as possible you know they've got Tyler Algier and Caleb Huntley who both have just been out there taking carries and and smashing teams to dust that's going to be the game plan going into this one you think and then Marcus Mariota has really I think uh hit the run game much more consistently over the past week uh well past couple weeks and, and been very effective there so what do you think about the Falcons rushing attack is this really the key to the game is sort of using the run game to dominate uh Cincinnati up front
0: Absolutely, because it's not just DJ Reader that's out. Likely Logan Wilson's gonna be on. I think Logan Wilson's been like their unsung hero since their rise from mid last season. Like I think Logan Wilson's one of the more complete linebackers of the league. Like like his metrics are really bad. Like you kind of look at him, he's like not particularly fast. He's not really that agile, but he just seems to always be in the right position. He's just a very savvy player. It looks like he's gonna be out. If he's out, I can just that's just another big loss for a defense that has already been struggling against the run and. I think the Falcons, the way they use these personnel groupings, like whether it's sort of running 12, 22, 13 personnel, like it's just, it's crazy how much they mix it up and just the way they use motion to get teams off balance. And let's not uh, discount the value of Mariota running the option. Like boy, there were at least three or four moments in that Niners game where they were completely off balance just because Mariota was so good at selling the fakes, like uses eyes really well. And that could be a difference, Baker, at any point, especially in the red zone. because... Uh, I think one of the coolest, and we mentioned before, like, you know, the Falcons are like top five in the red zone this year. Yeah,
1: yeah they're they're that, very good. Yeah.
0: Which is a I know a trademark Arthur Smith's staff, but obviously, you know, people would put it like, oh, that's Derek Henry's cheat code. But no, like look at Arthur Smith dialing things up. So I think this is definitely their biggest strength advantage going up against the Bengals defense. Like you want to see them at least get 25-30 carries with their group uh between Algier. Huntley and you know, hopefully Avery Williams get a little more involved because the, I think as you look at this matchup, it's like, okay, but keep the Bengals pulling the offense off the field as much as possible, control that clock, and just punish them because I think the Falcons can, are clearly proven they can put together sustainable drives of 10 to 12 plays and you know, kind of take the air out of teams.
1: Yeah, I think that's their game plan here, and you mentioned... Uh, the injury, Logan Wilson did not participate either Wednesday or Thursday. So his status for Sunday is definitely in doubt Uh, along with two other defensive uh, depth players in Josh Tupo and Jeff Gunter. Uh, Alex Kappa did miss practice today as well. Their guard uh, with an illness. So I mean, it doesn't seem, I wouldn't be overly concerned about him missing the game if I was a Bengals fan, but you always want to monitor that stuff. Uh, And Jamar Chase uh, has continued to be limited with his hip injury. Um, doesn't seem like he's going to have a potential to miss the game, but if he's banged up, that certainly could be a factor. Um, yeah, it's a uh, it's a good matchup for the Falcons, certainly. It's like a strength on weakness there. Um, and turning that around, there's also a matchup of strength on weakness for the Bengals passing game going against the Falcons pass defense, which... Has been the weaker part of the defense uh, so far this season. Uh, like I said, Falcons 27th in total yardage, but just 19th in scoring. So better at preventing points. But right now, uh, the Falcons have faced a lot of passing attempts, uh, like an absurd amount. Uh, they're, I think they face the second most pass attempts of any team. Um, if I'm correct uh, thirty first. I think we'd second most for defense, but they're also they've allowed the second most yardage of any team. Uh, they are a little bit better on like a yards per attempt standpoint, right? With with uh their twenty fourth in yards per attempt, but they allow a lot of yards through the air. And the Bengals, uh, love to chuck the ball because they've got a tremendous group of receivers in Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, and T Higgins, along with former Falcon Hayden Hurst at tight end. Oh, yeah. What do you think about? This matchup, uh definitely the one to watch, I think, when the Bengals are on offense.
0: Yeah, this is definitely a scary matchup. Although I just I'm curious to see what Dean Pease's game plan is going to this one because I think one of the more eye opening stats I've seen recently is like how much Joe Burrow struggles when teams play too high compared to playing, say, like cover one or just any sort of like strict man coverage where, you know, there's a safety drop down. Like it just seems like whenever teams play too high, he tends to either check it down a lot more or try to force the ball downfield, which leads to turnovers. Like he really struggled against the Ravens, but now it's like, I don't know, watching that Saints game. I know a Mar- lot of more was out and the Saints defense isn't what it once was, but it just seemed like the Bengals were really hitting their short offensively. And A lot of it just comes down to him and Chase finally hitting that rapport. Like I think him and Chase haven't quite been on the same page throughout the year, but now that game against the Saints, they were, they were clicking. And yeah, with Chase, it's like, it's not just he's such dangerous vertical threat, but he's just so nasty after a catch. Like he could break tackles. People forget how big Jamar Chase is. Mm-hmm. And that's something I would be concerned about because it just seems like Zach Taylor is making it more of a priority. It's like we got to get Chase to ball eight to 10 times a game now. Because just for whatever reason, the first few games of the year, he was not anonymous, but it just didn't seem like he was as involved as someone. Of his caliber like to me Mar Chase is a superstar you need to become double digit targets game and now it seems like they're finally there and then to me i think t higgins is probably the best number two receiver in the league so it's a scary matchup i think uh going as much as you'd like to see the Falcons play man i could see just because given the Bengals' offensive line struggles and just not wanting to get let let plays get behind them i can see the falcons playing a lot more zone this one and darren burrow to take those chances downfield and hopefully bang on a front forward to exploit a pretty below average offensive line.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think the, the key to this one is like, don't expect your guys to be able to play man. I mean, maybe Terrell can have some success. Maybe Oliver, if he's, if he's back to full health, he could handle Boyd without too much trouble. But you know, no matter what happens out there, Darren Hall's either going to get T Higgins or Jamar chase. And that's going to be not something you, you necessarily want to see very often. So he's going to need safety help. Um, but they're, I, I assume they're going to play a lot of too high, um, and just blitz. Uh, I mean, I think they're going to play zone and, and blitz guys and try to confuse the Bengals offensive line, which has not been good. Um, so we'll, we'll see how that goes certainly. But, uh, I mean, I think the, if you can get pressure on Burrow, that messes with their whole offense. But the Falcons I, so far haven't been able to do that against any team except the Saints. <laughs> yeah. And
0: we know Burrow likes to hold on to the ball. And I've just seen the Bengals. I know they try to put P. in, but they'll try to occasionally fit Mixon in. And, and Mixon is such a liability when it comes to being a blocker. I could see why the Bengals like to put P. Rye on third down now. Like you watch certain plays of the Bengals, are just mixing. He just always blows his assignments when it comes to yeah. pass, pro. So I could see whether it's Richie Grant. Sean Evans, like, putting up the A gap, they could cause problems because, you know, as much as everyone loves Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow just tends to be a bit hard-headed when it comes to, like, holding onto the ball and taking sacks. Like, he's just someone that, you know, kind of puts his team at a bit of a disadvantage with his decision-making as, you know, fantastic as a player as he is. So, that, I think that's where I ultimately found out the win. They just have to generate pressure in a variety of different ways.
1: Yeah, they're certainly going to try. Uh, they're they're going to give it their all to, to put some pressure on, and um, it's been very spotty this year. But I, I I have a feeling that this we could finally see Arnold Ebikadi get the sacks this week because he's I think tied for second or or third or something like that for most pressures of any rookie. At this point, um, but he's played about half as many snaps as the other players that he's tied with or that are ahead of him. Mm -hmm. Um, He's only really became a like starter last week with Ogundigi being um, like limited and out. So. He had a bunch of pressures last week. He didn't actually convert any into sacks, but they were close. So I feel like he's like right there. And then obviously you like Grady Jarrett against pretty much anyone. Um, He's usually good for at least a sack a game and had a couple of his, you know, robbed. (laughs) the Falcons in general have had sacks taken off the board, like in each of the last several games. So um, this is not a great pass rush, but it is a creative one. And I think they're going to be, if they can generate some level of pressure, it'll, it'll go a long way. Um, Especially if like Alex Kappa at right guard is out with this illness. If that, if he doesn't, if he's not able to suit up this weekend, you know, this is their ISIS. I suspect they'll be very aggressive because it's like, we can't just sit back and play coverage against these receivers. Like we need to make sure we get in Burrow's face as quickly and as often as possible. And it'll be a lot easier to do that. uh, If they are able to play their game, right. And get out to a lead and, and sort of smash the Bengals with their offense. So we're just going to have to hope that the Falcons offense comes to play and is sort of able to put up points and keep this from getting out of hand. And then the Falcons having to pass from behind because that, Even though that has actually not been too bad for them so far, they'd come back in both games. They got down big, but, um, lot to monitor there, uh, moving over to the run game side of this equation, the Falcons run defense, uh, surprisingly good. I guess you could say, uh, Falcons run defense right now, ninth in total yards allowed, 15th in yards per carry. Um, they've been solid. They've, they've kept, they kept the 49ers run game, which was their bread and butter, uh, to like very few yards. Uh, Certainly getting out to a big lead helps with that, but they really didn't have that 14-point lead for a large chunk of that game. You know, the 49ers sort of roared back quickly, um, but they never were able to get the run game going. The Falcons did a great job of limiting that. Um, They've been very good at stopping teams on like third and fourth and short with the run. Um, The Bengals, on the other hand, have really struggled to run the ball on offense. Uh, 29th in yards per attempt at just 3.5, just 27th in total yards on the ground. So this is a a matchup where it seems like the Falcons defense actually has an advantage for once. What do you think about that? (laughs) I
0: think the Bills are so predictable. Like, I I think, like, a first down, they're one of the more... Besides Tampa Bay, like, when I'm watching teams, like, they always seem to run the ball on first down. There's not much... Uh, unpredictability with Zach Taylor. Right? And I think that's why you watch the Bengals. The Bengals have been on prime time quite a bit this year. And just like, oh man, this offense, like they're so boring. a while. Like this should be for the personal they have, like they have to be more expansive. Like let's get some variety in there. And I think the last two games they've ran the ball better, particularly against Baltimore mixing got going, but like this offense line, let's not forget, they've had four new starters. So it was going to take time for them to gel. Uh, is this now the time, you know, It's hard. Obviously, it's very hard to predict that, but it's just when you have four stars coming in and not one of them is a particularly big hot mile. I think Alice Capo is more of a product of Tampa Bay having like three all pros on their O line rather than him being particularly good. And like Wild Collins to me has just been a complete disaster right tackle. Right. Cordell Bolson also their left guard. Have a I don't think he's who they wanted to start. Oh, he's not. <laughs> oh, do they have in the second round? I think a guard. I'm trying to remember. I'm trying, to,
1: yeah. I'm also trying yeah. to remember because I didn't think Cordell Wilson was who they had like lined up to play there, but he, he, I could be wrong. He's a
0: big liability So it's like this offense line. Like they try to run a lot of power. They'll run duo, but it's just they're so predictable, and it's just not. like Teams are just spy on it. Like it's like okay, we need, if they're under center and they're running on first downs, like just. They're there. They're in position. Yeah. So I think the Falcons, as long as they're schematically prepared and they have the right personnel, I think they should hold up relatively well. Because I think Mixon's having a down year by his standards, and I just think that a guy is, as as uh, you know, say what we you want with DMPs, he has tons of experience, and you know, I think he is a film junkie. And if you're watching film, the Bengals is pretty uh, apparent what they like to do offensively. So he should, yeah. identify, he should identify those tendencies and you know look to shut it down.
1: Yeah, I mean they've been really insistent on just running on first down all the time, and they've not been effective doing it. Uh, and they <laughs> haven't changed yet. I mean, I think defensive corners are probably like, okay, like when are they going to start throwing on first down? Like we're just, I'm sure they're practicing for this. And but the thing is, like, you don't even have to sell out to stop the run against this Cincinnati rushing attack. Like mm-hmm. you, you, they're not very good at it, so you don't necessarily have to like stack the box or, you know, play the run super hard to, to shut them down. So. Um,
0: you know, I, think, on, I think they're also it? missing CJ Uzama a lot. He was a very state block for them. And uh, even though Hayden Hurst can make some plays and pass the game, we we saw him for two years, not necessarily someone that could block.
1: Yes, I believe his pass block grade is 269 yeah. Um. And so, his uh, run block grade this is a respectable fifty-nine point three. So you all know, right. To be um, like
0: guys like him, Zach Ertz, when they block, it's just like oh boy, they're going for a ride. It's just some yeah, some yeah. tight ends just simply cannot block. But
1: uh, no. And Drew yeah. Sample, I think they're missing as well. Uh, um, yes. I think he was hurt. Because they the only
0: use that, a fullback, I don't believe.
1: I don't even think they have one. Yeah, oh, I think man. they just use like a sort of halfback, uh, tight end set- situation. But yeah, this has been certainly uh, an offense that hasn't been able to run the ball. And I think the Falcons do have the advantage there. Um, and honestly, that's part of the reason that I think the Falcons have been able to come back, not because they're this great high flying passing offense, it's because when teams try to run the ball and run out the clock, the Falcons, it, they don't let them do it. Like, they're like, you can't do it. You're like, we're not going to let you do what we do. Like we're, we're going to keep you from doing that. And you know, it's it, so far it's worked for them. I mean, I, I, I think, um, I think you know overall speaking here that the Falcons being six and a half point underdogs it seems a little aggressive to me. It's um, rich, but yeah. maybe
0: it's just because the Bengals look they they do have, they are super Super Bowl pedigree. They got it. They do. Yeah.
1: Uh, but it's just like if you watch the Bengals this year, they really haven't like done that to anyone. Um, like looked like they were just so be- so much better than their yeah. opponent. Like I think. Uh, I guess the Dolphins win of course uh was is out and they had I think they ended up starting even Skylar Thompson in that game uh, a couple weeks ago like they won by double digits uh they beat the Jets you know by double mm. digits uh but other than that I mean you lose to the Steelers you lose to the Cowboys you lose to the Ravens no no you know yeah. nothing disrespectful about that but I mean the Saints even took them 30 to you know they they put up 228 rushing yards on them, and we're challenging them all throughout that game. So yeah. this is not a team that's really blown out opponents. They'll um, win even decisively. They, yeah. yeah, I mean, even though they have, the, I think, the firepower to start doing that at some point, like, it's odd to pick them to do it against a team like the Falcons, where this is... And the the points, the over-under in this game is actually high, like 47.5, and, and it's like, do you think the Falcons are putting up all those points? Um, because... Maybe they do because Atlanta is They're the capable. eighth. I mean, the Falcons <laughs> are the eighth scoring offense. I mean, scoring's down, yeah. but you know it. Um, funny enough, the Falcons have scored more points than the Bengals so far, like a oh, lot wow. more. Um, Bengals are fifteenth in scoring offense, so it does seem a bit disrespectful to the Falcons. But I don't necessarily blame them. And then also, you got to keep in mind, you know, that this is uh, this is like on the road, I believe, for the Falcons. So that's it's not, you know. Atlanta at home or anything like that so you know I I, I get it I get it um so like, the they, Bengals
0: are a really good home team too they, yeah they, they do tend to, to the atmosphere
1: yeah they, they do tend to do well there um but it's uh it's interesting I, I do think that you know this is obviously going to be a one score game the Falcons have made every game a one score game except the one they just won in a blowout. um and you know I don't think you really know like like I I I think the Falcons have become this team that like nobody really wants to play because it's just going to be unpleasant yeah. like for everyone. <laughs> like you're just not it's not going to be a fun game. It's like they really are getting back to this like dirty birds sort of like they're going to pound your face with the mm-hmm. run. They're going to suffocate you on defense. Like they're just going to wait for you to make a mistake and then just just suffocate you with the run game. Like just take as many carries as you can possibly allow.
0: Like, like if you're the opponent and you say you haven't really watched much film the Falcons, and you're just stepping on field, you see a guy like Parker Hester, like, who is this guy? This guy doesn't belong in the NFL. And then, like, after two drives, it's like, this guy just keeps hitting me play after play. <laughs> yes. Like, he's just putting me on the ground. Like, he's such a nuisance. Keith Smith just blasting up the B gap and just taking me out. Like, they, they just, the way they use their personnel, the block is just, it's phenomenal. And I do think that. Uh, Look, everyone wants to complain about his usage. But, dude, Kyle Pitts is making things happen as a blocker. Like, I think he's been better than people people anticipate. Like, the, when they run, like, the pin-pull concepts, like, he is pinning the edge rusher – or edge defender, excuse me. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And do yeah. a damn good job. So – it's Stuff like that, like, yeah, like, of course, the offensive line gets praised, but people like Keith Spit, Parker Hesse, and you know, of course, Kyle Pitts. I would hope teams know who Kyle Pitts is, but uh, <laughs> it's just like that's Michael where it, Pruitt, you know, yeah, he's, he's hey. getting
1: out there now, he's on the roster. My son, Michael yes, Pruitt, is uh, yes. is coming, is coming, yeah. So it's yeah. just like
0: the, those types of players. It's just like the way they're contributing in the run game, it's just like you have to take account for them because they're making a difference. There's a reason why these runs are going for chunk plays at times, is why you saw against the the Browns in particular are just like, Man, these linebackers are getting taken out. These edge rushers or edge defenders, I keep saying edge rushers, edge, edge defenders, they're not getting any penetration. And it's just like they're running these toss plays and they're getting ten to fifteen yards. So yeah. uh I think that's why, yeah, it's just you just know it's you you gotta be ready to tackle and you gotta be ready to take on blocks. Like I, I know it's not popular right now to use Brand Staley as an example for anything, given how bad of a coaching job he's done this year. But like I remember Brandon Staley last year was talking about with the run game, it just like you want to force teams to tackle. Yeah. You want to force teams to take on blocks. That's what the running game does, and the Falcons are doing that at such a frequent pace. Yeah. And they have an offensive line that just fully embraces this style. And yeah. I think that's why they're having so much success, and that's why I think teams are you know, forget looking at the right. roster, watch the film. Right. You you better be ready to go in for a battle, otherwise you're getting run over.
1: Yeah, and I mean the Falcons just part of the reason. I assume this team is really annoying to play is because they're going to just go like every player is expected to block. Like every single person has a blocking assignment and every route on most of these plays that the receivers run is designed to like hurt the defense and get them out of position for a run. If they like fall for the routes, like you'll see these routes that the run goes behind and then there'll be like receivers blocking like 30 yards downfield. Like, um like no one is able to just go out there and coast like it's like if you're on the field for the Falcons you're gonna be blocking somebody and I think it just gets to opponents like over the course of four quarters like you know shout out to Kaderil Hodge I think who has like 50 run blocks already or something like that um and he's got like a 70 run block grade on people like this man is just like plaster corners <laughs> is like, he the new
0: Justin Hardy yes Justin he's Hardy just used to be such a great blocker yeah he's
1: just like I'm gonna hit you and I'm going to make sure that you don't enjoy this. Uh, and he, he does that. And then now we got Michael Pruitt out there. Who I, I think that I do like that move. Um, I think they going into the season, the idea was like, let's have two receiving tight ends. I think they were maybe imagining that the passing game was going to have more volume and they might need a secondary option, in the receiving game at tight end, but there's just nowhere near enough attempts for that to be like necessary in this right. offense. And like, Anthony Furkser just doesn't block. Like he's just not a plus blocker in any way. So I think you you sort of de emphasize his role and you're like, look, if we're gonna run forty times, let's just have two blocking tight ends or Kyle Pitts. Like or even play thirteen personnel. Like, who cares? Yeah. And they've been you know, I think Michael Pruitt and he he could clearly catch, you know, has that touchdown last right. week. So Uh, Funny enough, a guy that was like a receiving specialist in college that became a blocker at the NFL level, that rare reverse transition. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I like I like getting another nasty blocking tight end to go along with Parker Hesse. And then, of course, Kyle Pitts is like he's become an average blocker, which. That's no small feat for a guy that really never was asked to do it at the college level. So
0: Yeah, exactly. Cause you see a lot of these star tight ends, like outside of George Kittle, they're not particularly great blockers. Well, oh, Kelsey's a good blocker too, but just I guess that's been like the overall sentiment for the yeah. past twenty years. It's just like the best pass catching tight ends, like you gotta kinda mask them because a guy like Jimmy Graham or Zach Ertz or even Tony Gonzalez, as much as we love him, like they just can't block whatsoever. Yeah. But now it's just like you don't have to mask up. Pitts, like my Kyle pits. you could put him uh, not an island, necessarily, but you could put him in positions where he could do his job, where he could pin that edge defender just so McGarry could pull and get somebody at the second level. And, you know, those types of plays that make a huge difference. So, yeah, you know, huge credit to Arthur Smith. Um, it's cool to see a Falcons after being such a finesse team for so long now become this punishing team that, you know, of course, defensively, you wish they could kind of forfeit to that. But I think. Just to give people an idea of like where the Falcons sit defensively, you know, besides the Lions, no team is currently spending fewer on their defense than the Falcons.
1: What's that? I'm sorry.
0: Uh, besides the Lions, no team is spending you know currently on their cap fewer than the Falcons defensively. Like when yeah, you look at yeah. their roster, like besides gary Jarrett, who really has a huge contract, like Casey Hayward has a decent contract, but who's really getting paid on that defense right now?
1: Right, I mean, it's all young guys. Like, it's all. I mean, they, they've really cobbled this together, and you know, they they deserve certainly Fonteno and Smith and Dean Pease credit for being like, you know, mm-hmm. knowing that like, this is we have like sixty percent of the cap to spend because we have so much dead money. Mm-hmm. We need to just go out and find role players so we can have a, a serviceable defense that's going to allow this team to at least be in games. And like, they've done that. Like, they've gone out and found contributors for very low cost. You know, uh, Rashawn Evans, starting caliber linebacker that they got basically for vet minimum. Um, you know, they found several undrafted guys that have panned out for them with Nate Landman and D. Alford and...
0: Dula uh, Anderson. He's, yeah, Dula Anderson. Yes, yeah,
1: he's the new nose tackle. Uh, yeah. So... You know, shout out to Abdullah Anderson, uh, the third highest graded player on the defense right now. <laughs> um, and then it's also like, you know, your young players have come to, to play this year. Uh, you know, you've got a lot of cheap veterans that are contributing. Um, you know, it everything is sort of turning out well. Like they've, I think, unearthed a few guys that are going to be contributors for this team going forward. You know, every single one of these young draft picks that like turns into something is just so much benefits this team so much next year and in 2024 and 2025 like when they now they can actually go get like they can go spend in free agency but it's like we don't need to go find like seven new starters it's like no no we just need to find like a couple of top pieces and then continue improving our depth and um it's just it's nice like it's a team that's being built i think the right way for like long-term sustainability sort of like more of a raven's approach to how to do things like they haven't traded away all their picks they haven't gone really aggressive for, like, a bunch of high-priced free agents. They've actually made an effort to get out from these big contracts. And um, obviously the comp picks didn't work out this year. They sort of, I think, got boxed into a bad situation after the Matt Ryan-Deshaun Watson thing went south, and they had to sign a quarterback, and that sort of ruined their comp picks. But, um, you know, I think long-term, like, I do wonder if Fontenot looks at what the Saints have become, which is this, just constant financial disaster where they're I mean and we talked about it before the season uh at least I did I don't remember if you were on one of those shows where I was like Saints fans keep saying like oh well, our starters are all still here like we're fine it's like yeah but you got rid of like all of your depth players like all yeah. of your good rotational guys that helped your defensive line be like the deepest in the league and all right we're all talking of these about that reser- week one yeah. We're here, yeah all of these reserve guys that like kept you from being one injury away from disaster and helped you really have this great rotation. Like, they're all gone. You've had to say goodbye. Like, you switched out Marcus Williams for Honey Badger, and, like, I think we were afraid the Honey Badger would end up being really good there, but he's not been Marcus Williams. Um, so, like... That strategy, I think, I wonder if Fontenot sees that and is like, I don't want to be involved in that. Let's, like, go for more of the Ravens strategy, stock up on draft picks, homegrown talent that we're going to develop, and then we're going to rake in more comp picks and use that to replenish our team instead of going after the top free agents every single year and, you know, just taking on a lot of financial risk.
0: I still could see them making a splash or two oh, in They 2023 will. They will. just because yeah. they'll have the you know, space to do it. But... Uh... Yeah, no, you're making very strong points, and especially given Fatanah's experience working with the Saints because, oh, man, like, they've been playing with fire for years, and now it's starting to crash down. And, like, when, you, when you're when you in that NFC South, that's the vision where you're looking across and just like, oh, what's this team doing? Like, you kind of have to learn from other organizations' mistakes. And I think you know, looking at it, you know, just through the communication with Arthur Blank, like, I assume, you know, I was talking De and the, plane, North the time like I don't want to be in the same situation I was three or four years ago so it's just a matter of allocating your resources in the most efficient manner so yeah, yeah. uh it's, it's it's I'm excited about the future even though like right now the president is so exciting like to uh like we've seen in free agency for the past few years it's been pretty much a non event for Falcons yeah so now it's like okay 2023 some of those, they're gonna be linked quite a bit to some players and I just think you know defensively you know there's still three or four positions where they could definitely post yeah i
1: i think that they will i agree with you like i think the comp picks probably aren't going to start heading into like 2024 um because i think they they do need to make a few big additions this year and that's going to probably wipe out anything they would possibly gain um but i think going forward long term i wonder if that will be more of the strategy but yeah i mean it, they're they have all this money they need to spend it And i think some of that i think they might use to like front load some of their own extensions right like Chris Lindstrom, maybe McGarry, if he keeps it up, uh, Alameda Zacchaeus, you know, that I think they probably want to keep around, um, guys like that. You know, they, they have a lot of guys they could bring back or lock up if they so chose. Um, and when you front load the contracts, you like help yourself maintain your cap flexibility in future years. So it's like, if you don't get aggressive and try to spend every penny you have, and instead you sort of like, like if you look at the Jake Matthews contract, um, they front loaded that contract so that 2023 he's making 34 million in a year that they knew they would have so much cap space, and then after that he's making like 18 million a year, and it's like mostly unguaranteed money at that point. So like they've set up that contract to where they can keep Matthews as long as he's playing well, and then they're they're not bound to him. But he gets all of his money like early, like he gets all of his money next year, so he's pretty much set in terms of the guarantees next year. Um, just really clever ways to design these contracts and i'm really interested to see what Fontenot does when he actually has money to spend and that's going to be a, a big theme of this off season that's going to make this actually an exciting free agency for like the first time like you said in a really long time and I'm, I'm definitely interested to see how things develop over the rest of this season and what the true sort of uh needs end up being when the dust clears uh, at the end
0: i think there was some fun some anticipation in 2020 and then they ended up with Dante Fowler and Todd Gurley
1: well he can't hurt us anymore Alan he's no longer here so
0: (laughs) yeah but I don't know how much you watch the Cowboys it's very ironic just watching Dante Fowler make plays uh when he's the fourth best (laughs) defensive lineman on his team it's a great role for him when he's like the fourth best guy more power to him Dan Quinn still a believer yes he Uh, is yeah but uh what's your prediction for this one
1: I, I do think that the uh, the Bengals will pull this one out, but I do think it's gonna be a close game. I think I have the Bengals winning this 27 24 um just because I think it's this is the toughest game that they're gonna play probably over the next like seven games. Um, so I, I do think it's it's very possible they they lose this one. this is a tough game against an opponent that's starting to get hot but again, like, if it really is that score, that means that the Falcons are probably having a chance to win it at the end. And that means it could flip either way just at the drop of a hat. So um, that's where I'm leaning. What, what do you think about this one?
0: Yeah, I'm in the similar boat with you. I think Bengals, I got them winning 31-24. Just, you just have to talk about too much firepower offense. I think Tyler Boyd is someone to watch out for. Like, you know what's crazy with Tyler Boyd. Like, he makes the same move every time. Remember, like, back in, what was it, like, 2013, Tony Gonzalez would catch, like, a six-yard hitch and then he, like, turned the quarter, and the defender would always miss. Like, I <laughs> I, do, you, do you remember that at all? Like, Tony Gonzalez yeah. would do the yeah. same move after mm-hmm. a catch, and mm-hmm. somehow the defender would miss the tackle every single time. He would turn, like, a six-yard into, like, a 12-yard catch. Tyler Boyd has started to do this every single time. He'll fake going yeah. to right and then swerve to left, and he picks up like, an extra four yards. So it just, it's just little things like that. I just think the Bengals, yeah. like, to me, they have the best receiving wide receiver trio. Like, I think the, the 49ers have the best pass-catching trio between Debo Kill IU. like if they had a much better quarterback, that offense, my God, they'd be firing all cylinders. But uh the Bengals, I think from a wide receiver standpoint, they're like the most complete unit. Like oh, I yeah. think Tyler Boyd is really good. And the fact that now Hayden Hurst is finding niche it, is just yeah, I think this, they have too much uh through the air. And then defensively, I they're just one of the best coach units in the league. They only make much mistakes. And uh I think at some point it's gonna be hard like Falcons can't really drop back too much. And yeah. if Falcons become a pure drop back team, they're going to, things are going to start to crumble. So I think that's where I'm a bit concerned. And yeah, I think, look, the Bengals, I was really high on the Bengals coming into the year. I know some people thought the Super Bowl hangover, but I thought this Bengals team was definitely a playoff team. And, you know, it's kind of the 49ers. I'm just, I'm really high, as high as I am on the Falcons right now, I'm still very high on the Bengals. And I think there's a talent gap there and, that's why I'm going to the Bengals 31 24, but it should be a hell of a game. I think this is probably the if you're looking from like an NFL uh, yeah. general standpoint, this is the second best game of the week besides yeah. Niners Chiefs. This is like a really good game. This is a bad week,
1: but yeah, this is a this, very bad week. Yeah, football. this is one of the only good games I would say. Yeah. Um, and I think if the Falcons, like, deliver a good game here, then they're going to really start being respected by the talking heads as, like, oh, this is one of the more fun teams to actually watch. Like, this is one that you got to circle every week. And hopefully that'll lead to this team getting some damn primetime games later in the season because kind of embarrassing that they only gave them Thursday Night Football. Uh, I mean, I get, I, I I mean, get that mean, everyone was get like, a yeah.
0: But look, yeah. The power flexing could be Falcons Ravens. Yes. Hey, I think what is it, week 18 Falcons? Yep, Plus. Falcons Could you Bucks. imagine division on the line? Yeah. That would be. That's, that's oh, what man. we're projected
1: to see right now. So if, they, if the Falcons keep it up, it could hey. definitely end up there.
0: And we know NBC will not hesitate to put Brady on national television. No, so. absolutely
1: not. So that's our best chance, probably, to get another primetime game is week 18. Yeah, but yeah. I don't um,
0: know, the, like, I'm trying to remember the schedule, a like, I know there's a Ravens game somewhere. Maybe that'll yeah. work.
1: It's right after the bye, I think, or something like that. Um, so, yeah, it could be, that could be an option too. But, uh, yeah, uh, guys, going to be an exciting game. Thanks for tuning in with us on the Falcoholic Podcast, our Falcons vs. Bengals Week 7 game preview. If you're listening to the audio, leave us a five-star review. If you're watching on video, do like it, subscribe. Really appreciate that. You can check us out on Patreon if you want to support the show. It's patreoncom live for early access, ad-free versions of all these podcast episodes, as long along with some other cool perks. Check out the Falcoholic Discord, which is in the show description. Uh, and before we take off, I want to thank my co-host Alan Stirk. He's at Alan Stirk. This will be the final game preview for a while. He's going to be joining me instead on the post-game shows. Uh, due to some scheduling uh shuffling, but I think uh I think we're gonna enjoy his takes even more immediately following the game. That that's my inkling. But Alan, anything you wanna plug?
0: Yes. And I just recently posted a story about Marcus period because I've been very critical of Marcus Spirit. I thought after last Sunday, I was like, all right, it's time for me to give him his due because I've been calling for his benching for a re- you know, I've been thinking, like, since week two. But, you know, Kuzmar, Chris Mariota, and just doing research, I love just how much the team is behind them. Like, every player is speaking so highly of them. So I just put together like, a nice long-form piece with that. So yeah, that's yeah. what we're doing. Yeah, like, going forward, Sundays, looking forward to recording with you. We're, uh, we're good. It's, it's just we're gonna be on some pretty emotional highs, like regardless of what happens, Like, man, I would have loved to have been on last Sunday because, boy, yeah, that that's so much really fun. So, yeah, um, even
1: Dave came on to that one, so that that's awesome. a rare occurrence. Yeah, we only see Dave after big W's. So, <laughs>
0: hey, in fact, if they could pull this off Sunday, I I could say that big W, so maybe we'll oh, get yeah. another guest yeah. on. But yeah, going forward, that would be the plan, and I'm so looking forward to it. the Falcons, they're on high, and I think we have a lot to be excited. about. I
1: think so too. I'm excited uh, for what should be another good game. The worst you could say about the Falcons is that they've been extremely watchable. Like every single one of their games has been imminently watchable and exciting. Um, So as long as that keeps up, I'll be a happy camper guys. I am Kevin Knight at Falcoholic Kevin. Uh, Definitely check out Alan's work on thefalcoholic.com. My written stuff these days is, you know, mostly uh, consigned to like, you know, little, little posts here and there, but uh, most of it's over the airwaves, but I do occasionally chime in with the written stuff, um, and of course, in the off season, once we get to draft time, I will be putting out all kinds of draft-related stuff. But uh, guys, really appreciate you. Uh, we will see you next time on the Falcoholic Live, which, of course, will be the post-game show that we just mentioned. So we'll see you immediately following the game on Sunday, hoping for that big Falcons dub because not only would that get them to their first winning record in like five years. Uh, it would also just be a lot of fun and, uh, would really position this team in a very strong spot to, to challenge for the playoffs, uh, getting two W's out of what was maybe the toughest three game stretch on the schedule. That would be huge. So, uh, we will hope for that outcome. Uh, but even if they lose that game, it's not gonna, I don't think as long as it's not like terrible loss or something like that, uh, I don't think it's really going to change too much for them. So Again, guys, thanks so much. We'll talk to you next time on the Falcoholic Podcast and Falcoholic Live. Have a great day, folks.